our guests a quick message from our sponsor. We've had the COVID virus, and now we have the monkeypox virus. And we found out that a month or two before each of them, there were simulations of how they might be spread upon the world. What do our globalist masters have for us next? You can be sure there's something. But what can you do about it? The best thing you can do is to keep your immune system resistant, resilient, and clean. You can do that by going to zstacklife.com. Dr. Zelenko has developed a system, a protocol supplement system that has saved thousands of patients that he treated with very few hospitalizations. You can go to zstacklife.com and get the ZStack protocol. You can get the protocol for children and the detox formula. If you go to zstacklife.com and use promo code CDM, you can get a 5% discount for off all of the products. So keep your immune system healthy as we wait for the next virus to come down the pike. Go to, promo, to, go to zstacklife.com and use promo code CDM for a 5% discount. And now let's get to our guest. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to our global conversation show, In Plain Sight. Uh, we have been on the air with this show now for about four months, and uh, we have been collecting, we've been interviewing people who are experts in the field of doing research and clinical trials, understanding the former corruption, understanding the medical uh, side of what's in the shots as much as we possibly can. We've collected contracts of U.S. pharmaceutical companies all over the world. We're working internationally with other uh, politicians and officials uh, across the world to collect the U.S. pharmaceutical contracts. We're working here in the United States to get more to the bottom of what's going on. We've talked to lawyers all over the world. And today I want to, we're going to do a show and we're going to up the game. And the reason why we're going to do this is because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, as a journalist, burnt out by listening to people who are not facing the facts. When people need to wake up and take a look at the world around them and in their immediate orbits. I recently lost a friend who was physically fine in April. By May, uh, he, had, he had cancer. He got the booster in December. He got in the two shots the year before and he had massive bone cancer and he died recently and it was very very sudden we have we have reports of sudden deaths we have an increase of cancer and you're going to hear about that that research compared to other years in the uh, in vaccinations we know about children being being born deformed now now that should be a wake-up call for people we're going to do more on that uh, in the next coming week we know about stillborns we know about people who have gotten boosters somebody the other day sent me a text and there were six adults uh, from massachusetts who in fact received their boosters and they all have all different types of cancer at different types of stages from colon to thyroid to stomach cancer so this 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 is we're at the point now where if people do not take a look at the world around them and what's happening in terms of the adverse effects and understand that these are these shots are not safe and effective for everyone then it is willful ignorance and it falls on your own on your own conscience that you're refusing to take a look at the facts this is very serious the cdc and the FDA have recently said that we're not for the boosters going forward. They don't have to do any clinical trials. In other words, this is unregulated. And we already know that this is unaccountable all over the world because there is no liability for the U.S. pharmaceutical shots that are being administered. You can call them vaccines if you want to, but they're not. They're gene therapies for mRNA, for uh, Moderna and for Pfizer. And we don't know exactly what's in all of these shots. We don't know the long-term effects because there have been no complete animal human studies so far. So let's get to the guests now because we have, we have had uh, Sasha Lavapova on before. Warner Mendenhall, who's an attorney who handles all kinds of cases from the big ones with Pfizer to the little ones in terms of unemployment. 
Sasha and Warner, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, Sasha, let's just run down something because you've been on the show several times as a contributor. Let's talk about uh, are the clinical trials, uh, you know, let's just keep it specifically to the U.S. pharmaceuticals because they are not, the, the U.S. pharmaceutical shots are not being just administered here in the United States, but they are all over the world. Uh, Pfizer, mm -hmm. for instance, has contracted with 110 countries across the globe. Have you found, as someone who has worked for Pfizer, done business with Pfizer, you've, you've studied clinical trials in 60 pharmaceutical companies for the last 25 years plus all over the globe, have you found that, they, that, that any of the U.S. pharmaceutical companies have followed any of the standards and practices? Uh, no. Um, I found that for the most part they did not, um, and they violated numerous um, regulations, FDA guidelines, international guidelines, uh, safety and ASIC standards, um, uh, and, you know, things, things that were previously unthinkable um, in clinical research. They just broke through all those barriers somehow and just went ahead and did it. And then also exempt themselves from a lot of requirements. All right. And you've, you've taken a look at the manufacturing standards and practices as well, which you understand because you've overseen mm -hmm. clinical trials. Have they followed the manufacturing protocols, standards and practices and protocols in the past that have that are supposed supposed to be regulated? Well, based on my review of what is available, because remember, they're hiding a lot of this data and to date, uh, no pharma or regulatory body has released the um, chemistry manufacturing control sections of their submissions. So they're keeping those extremely secret. Uh, but based on the data that is available publicly and uh, what I have and I read and analyzed uh, by myself and with my colleagues, I can say that they are not following good manufacturing practice uh, standards. Their suppliers are not following good manufacturing practice standards and also other so-called so GXP, so good, good laboratory practices, good distribution practices, all of that is regulated. And uh, they have numerous, numerous violations. It's almost, you know, they just broke every law that's there somehow simultaneously. All right. And you've also taken a look at the VAERS. And the other day you were telling me that you've actually done a, a quick run on the VAERS reporting. Now, we know um, from analysis that if you take a look at the adverse effects under the COVID era compared to 30 years before that for, for VAX adverse effects, mm -hmm. there's there's if you add up all the years before COVID, it doesn't even add up to the adverse effects under the COVID era. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's very easily easily obtainable. People can go to openveyors.com, for example, and just see those summaries themselves for all sorts of different countries, for age groups and so forth. Uh, you mentioned cancer before. That's one of the huge, huge adverse events that everyone is observing. This, they're, they're, even among scientific community, there is now uh, work, turbo cancer. Turbo cancer associated with these shots because uh, they're coming extremely aggressively, extremely fast, diagnosed at late stage with multiple tumors, large tumors in younger people than have ever seen before. And this is from all experts. And it's undeniable that the link to the vaccinations because of the mechanisms of actions built into these shots. Um, and I did my own um, quick analysis of VAERS on this matter. Somebody asked me about cancer. I did a search of the term cancer in all of VAERS reports um, and as you know, VAERS goes back to about 30 years and contains um, 99 or so different vaccine products. Uh, so typical rate of mention of word cancer in the reports is around, you know, historically 200 to 300 per year. And remember, this could be, it's just word cancer mentioned. It could be pre-existing condition in a person or something associated with vaccine, but we're comparing apples to apples here. So, you know, given given that background rate, uh, in the 18 months of the rollout of these vaccines, the word cancer has been mentioned 15,000 times in association with these reports. So you cannot deny that this is a signal, okay? And it must be investigated. The magnitude of change is so dramatic, so fast, that you cannot say, any professional cannot say that, oh, this is nothing and correlation doesn't mean causation. Those, those at that magnitude, this doesn't apply anymore. 
All right, so it's abnormal. So the evidence is abnormal. abnormal and 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 it should be worrisome. And under yes. normal circumstances, as I understand it from, from my research and reporting, that in fact this would all signal somebody to say, hey, we need to do something about this. And in other in other eras, they would have taken this stuff off the shelf. They haven't stopped that. Matter of fact, they're going forward with it, with the, the acknowledging that they're not going to do clinical trials, which is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the course of the last two weeks, that the CDC and the FDA came out with that proclamation, and yes. there were very few people who objected to it. But at the same time. The way it's being sold is that this is safe and effective and you need to get your booster and some kids have to still get their university shots, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. Warner, I want to turn to you now. Knowing all this and, and, you know, from an investigative side of the legal profession, let's talk about, and let, before we get to, to, to my question, actually, tell us, tell the audience what type of cases, because you go from the unemployment to Brooke Jackson's, you know, which is the biggest case out there right now, taking on Pfizer. Let, let Explain to the audience where, where you're coming from, from a legal point of view, because you've seen this at a, you know, 360 um, circle in terms of the law. Yeah, we literally have had probably the smallest level of cases uh, in in terms of the unemployment appeals and things like that, which the hospitals and the employers are fighting tooth and nail to not give people unemployment. And uh, they're saying that they had just cause to fire these people or they're saying they voluntarily left their positions by deciding not to take the shots. You know, and it's just been it's been tragic Uh, in Ohio. Thousands of medical personnel are now out of hospitals, not working there. It's it's having a direct impact on patient care in my local community. When the Children's Hospital fired 200 workers who refused, we've had some successes in in terms of the employees uh, organizing. Um, Some of the unions got organized. The steelworkers got organized. But I can tell you that even at the union level, they have been fighting uh, with their higher ups. There's a, an, a level beyond the local called the international level. And the international unions have seemed to have gone along with the plan. But nevertheless, locally, uh, the unions and the workers that have gotten organized have made some real gains. We had at one point uh, organized about 31,000 nurses around Ohio right up to the last minute, uh, the hospitals were not accepting religious or medical exemptions and they caved because they just simply couldn't afford to lose 31,000 nurses and and other medical personnel at, at, I'll name the hospitals, at Cleveland Clinic, at Cleveland Metro, at Ohio Health uh, here in Ohio. So so the nurses and the people who have stood up, I mean, I've got to say, you know, I'm so proud of all of them that stood up because it has resulted in changes. It has resulted in many, many people being able to continue to work. Uh, This has just been a crisis and a disaster. Uh, And because people stood up, I think we are beginning to see some light actually and starting to see it turn around. Um, You know, I, so we're, we're doing that. And I think, you know, what we see and, and how I view it and I think everybody can see this. For whatever reason, there is a real purge going on of our academic institutions, our hospitals, our military, all, all kinds of levels of employment, medical employment. There's a real purge of conservative viewpoints. There's a real purge of religious viewpoints. There's a real purge of anyone who resists taking this shot. And that has happened to a large extent. You know, though, like I said, we are turning the corner, I think. Uh, and have had some successes. But this purge is really something. And I wanna, I wanna emphasize this about the people's personnel records because we're looking at personnel records all the time. And what do, you, what do you mean by that? You're talking about the people who are resisting or the people who are making the decisions? The people who've been fired. Mm-hmm. And, and what I wanna say about the people who've been fired, these are the most pristine personnel records I've ever seen in my life. In 24 years of doing employment law, suing over discrimination and different issues. I have never seen pristine records like these. These are your ideal employees in any other situation, and they're gone. They're highly ethical. They're, they, they show up to work. They do their job. You know, they care a lot about their communities. So the people that have been ejected from our institutions are some of the best people we have out there. 
So, so when you, when you, those, those are the unemployment and, and even though you're based in Ohio and you're handling some cases in Ohio, you're also doing cases outside of Ohio as well. Let's talk about some of those type of cases. Well, one of the cases, one of the people that we're working with uh, is Christopher Rake, who was uh, ejected from UCLA Medical Center. He's an anesthesiologist and he refused to take the shot. And he said to his employer, look, I know this thing is bad. I don't need it. I've had COVID. I, I, I'm, I don't want to take the shot. I'm immune. And I know the science. And because of that, they literally had security march him off their medical campus. So that's one in California. Um, I've got an, another uh, person that I'm working with on the VAERS data and the requirements to, for any injection site to accurately and adequately report any adverse events. And we have found that there's retaliation against workers who are actually doing their job and trying to report the adverse events that they have seen. And Deb, it's Deb Conrad. She's been very public uh, at a hospital in Batavia, New York. And Batavia is a small town, but there were hundreds of adverse events in that small town. And she got fired because she asked for help to input the VAERS data. So we're working with people that, you know, throughout the country, really, uh, you know, we're very proud to be representing these 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 folks. Uh, they're very brave. They're very courageous. So let me ask you some questions, because I know that this is there's a confusion and, and uh, about whose responsibility it is to it to put the VAR, the adverse effects into the VAERS report. We have heard early on when we interviewed the, the VAX injured in 2021. Some people in the healthcare industry, like nurses, didn't know about the VAERS, okay? Other doctors claim that they didn't know about the VAERS. Uh, Vax injured would say to their doctors, you know, is this connected to the vaccination? And they would say yes, and, they, and they'd say, well, then you have to put it in the VAERS, and they'd say, that's not our job. Whose job is it, Warner, to put it into the VAERS system? It's very clear. Uh, if you are an injection site, you sign a program participation agreement and it is a material breach to not submit the injuries and adverse reactions that you are observing. So all of these sites, thousands of sites, I believe are in material breach of their program participation agreement fundamentally. So this uh, is any place that they give a vaccine, quote unquote, vaccination shot. They, right. They have signed a program participation agreement, and it is explicitly mentioned in that agreement. I can't tell you the line number, but okay. uh, the line number, there is a line that says it is a material, it is material that you will submit adverse uh, events to the VAERS system. So all of these sites and their ignorance is no excuse because they signed the agreement. So that uh, does that include does that include the, the, the pharmacies, the hospitals, the clinics, the drive-throughs, the theaters that are organizing this? This is everybody who's distributing this. Yes. They are required in case somebody has has an immediate reaction, they're required to put it into the VAERS report. Yes. And All right. And, so and, if it's a delayed reaction and they end up going to the ER or they end up going to their GP and they and the and the doctor connects that it is with a with the, with an adverse effect. Whose responsibility at that juncture is it to enter that information? At that juncture, it, it changes a bit because it, it, the the center has to have some awareness. But let me the hospitals are a, are a big example, though. Because a hospital not only gives the injection, but usually will follow up with the emergency that occurs because of the injection. So they know, they know without a doubt whether it's related in time and should be submitted. And, and, they have, and what we found is there's active suppression of the VAERS reporting. It is just highly discouraged. And in fact, uh, you know, Deb Conrad has talked about that. Even, even after she was fired, Pfizer wrote her a letter inquiring as to what she was doing. So yeah. Pfizer is really paying very close attention to individual people who are not going along with the narrative. Oh, and we're paying very, very close attention to Pfizer. So everybody's on notice here that the game is on. So there's also reporting that we've had in the past, too, that some doctors uh, in the hospitals have reported. And then the CDC has called some doctors and said, why are you doing this? We know that in, in some doctors in the hospital who have reported 
have been contacted by the hospital administrators who are not medical. These are MBA people running for-profit hospitals at this point in time in history. They'll call downstairs to the ER doctor and say to the ER doctor, you know, the next time you think you want to report to VARES, before you report to VARES, send your report upstairs to the C-suite, and they're going to make the decision on that. Now, Sasha, I want to go back to you because you've cross-referenced this information, and you've got a team of people who have actually gone into and that are brilliant IT people. They have figured out that when someone puts a uh, report into the VARES system, there's a group of people behind the VARES door, number one. I feel like this is the Price is Right show. But you've got door number one. People will go in and put and enter because a lot of times people were told early on when this fiasco started that doctors were not going to put it in because doctors were afraid to put it in because they knew that they get a call from the CDC. Somebody may report them to the medical boards, the, the, the hospital administration may call them up, et cetera. But you have found that, the, that some of those reports, have, and we know this from people who have entered them, their reports are gone. Mm -hmm. And share with the audience what you know about door number one when there are there's active suppression, as Warner has referred to it. And this yeah. is evidence, folks. This is not speculation. This is evidence. This shows about evidence today. Yes, absolutely. So theirs is, in my opinion, highly manipulated data set. Um, I, I, you, correct. I have a team of co uh, collaborators, researchers, and uh, some have particular interest in this data manipulation, identifying various uh, patterns of data manipulation. Some examples include, for, for example, is, you know, the uh, ID numbers uh, of these reports, uh, they're sequential. As, as people, as new uh, reports come in, the, the ID issued automatically by the system is sequential. And then we see gaps in those IDs. Clearly, they are removed. So the, the data set, as it gets output to public, uh, has gaps in those numbers. So we know uh, at least some reports were uh, deleted completely. Uh, we also see uh, the report. There was one report identified, one famous report identified uh, of a child in Alaska who died right after injection. Uh, and it was actually inappropriately given to a child at that time. It wasn't approved for children, especially very young children. Uh, that report appeared in the initial, uh, uh, the data set gets output to public every Friday. So in that particular output, that report was there. Uh, a few hours later, they took it down, said, oh, it's maintenance. Uh, then uh, data set was re-uploaded without that report and that report never reappeared. Uh, and that only change in the data set within those few hours was elimination of that report. Uh, the, the report was screenshot. There were no apparent problems with it. It, was, it did not read as obviously fake. Um, and people have asked a lot of questions about it and that there's never been an answer on that. Other examples of data manipulation include changes in um, our creation of, we would call it, um, apparent typos and lot numbers, but I have done a lot of investigation into that. I read about 4,000 reports myself manually, and um, it appears that the lot numbers are being disguised by um, some kind of algorithm that creates these apparent typos where you see the, so, so you see, you know, huge number of mistyped, mistyped lot numbers where the reports themselves are accurate. And so, 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 you know, somebody's, somebody wants to, so in other words, the reports are right, but the vials may be the different, wrong, different number right. than what is the, on the, the lot number becomes nonsensical. And, uh, you know, so, so they're trying to tell us that people correctly typed in, you know, it takes like several hours to submit a report online, typed in all those fields correctly, no, no typos in those, but then somehow they, they just completely screwed up the lot number. Um, anyway, so so that's another example. Then there are examples of changes. So actually, I have one colleague who is who is very, very focused on this, and he's identified specific writing styles. So he has identified specific, you know, people within CDC who are altering. So they're they're altering the narratives and their specific writing styles. Uh, they're changing, the, for example, they will remove locations of the states. Uh, he does things like he will match a report with, the, with, with local news in obituaries. So there's some information that will be the same. So he found several that he actually identified in the, in the, in the newspapers. 
and uh, has been able to demonstrate that they, they, they make changes in the locations, they make changes in the age, especially when it's a child. They will put in the, in the age, in the narrative, it will be written, you know, breastfeeding baby died, right? Uh, and then in the field where it says age, which will be used by researchers like me, we just look at the aggregates, right? Uh, it will, they will put an adult age. And so say that again. Sasha, you broke up. So say that again. When the age it a breastfeeding child and the age will be changed to a non-breastfeeding age child. So, yeah, so they will so there was one example where the there was a six six months old child who died. Mm -hmm. uh, and they changed so the, in the narrative you can read that. Uh but few people go down to the narratives, researchers like me will look at the aggregates and in the field, oh, which says right. age, they put 36-year-old. All right, so 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 uh, Warner, you and I and Sasha have talked, had many conversations, and, and this this is not conspiratorial. This is the, the criminal investigator trained investigative journalist. When I hear about people going in and changing a system like that, you know what I think about? I think about all these fact finders, okay, that are hired by tech being hired possibly by CDC to go in there to say, okay, fine, you know. Uh, fact checker number one, you go in for the ages. Fact number number two, you go in for the locations. Fact number three, you look at the obits if they've died and you just make changes so that the original documentation that was inserted there by the doctor or the family member doesn't match what they originally put in. And what does that mean in terms of evidence if you want to go after the CDC for, for messing around with the, with the facts from the person who makes the entries? Well, I, I mean, I, these are clearly going to be crimes. When you mess with the public's data, you've committed a crime. And, and you know, they, that's, that's gives us a pathway if we ever had a government that was willing to go after the folks who are committing these crimes, we could do it. Um, but right now, there's no willingness on behalf of the DOJ or the president or anybody else to go after any of this stuff. Um, I mean, we, and we know even further, we, you know, I, I put a note in our, our chat. Uh, we have a CMS contractor whistleblower who contacted us. She was hired to go after the VAERS data and to knock people off VAERS by whatever mistake they could find in the submission, they would knock them off. So, the idea in the past that VAERS was underreporting about what, you know, up to 100 to 1 is probably greater than that now because there's so much active suppression of this. There wasn't anything like this in past years. Mm -hmm. So they are really, really uh, tamping down any information that people could get about the problems with safety that are showing up. So what does that tell you about, let's go up the ladder, Warner, because you and I have talked about this. Uh, I think that it is highly improbable that the boards of any of these entities or the higher leadership of any of these agencies can be unaware at this point in time that they may, that they may be in violation of their fiduciary responsibility to uh, uphold and I'm not saying because they're doctors, they have to uphold the Hippocratic Oath, but because they are overseeing a company, they're on the board. I mean, there's no there's no way in hell that anybody who's sitting on the board of Pfizer, J&J or Moderna cannot be asking the questions at this point. Are we doing everything right? Are we doing everything? Are we going to get caught? Are we going to be responsible? Because we know that there is a history here in the pharmaceutical industry. And this is not 25 years ago. This is 2009 that Pfizer had to pay $2.3 billion for uh, criminal and civil, uh, it was criminal and civil fines with DOJ, uh, and that was for fraud. We know that uh, Glasgow had to pay, I think it's four years later, $3 billion. We know that Purdue, that produced the opiate poison, had to pay, I, I think it's $8 billion is, is where it's at right now. So there is a history here of the pharma industry being involved in criminal and civil. And, and in fact, in fact, uh, Pfizer's on probation, essentially. Uh, they had to sign a, something called a corporate integrity agreement. When was it? Explain that to the audience, because a lot of people don't understand a that. A corporate integrity agreement, they, when they agreed to pay the billions of dollars, the corporate integrity agreement says, look, you've admitted that you violated federal law. And from here on out, you need to take special steps 
to make sure that you are following the law, which this is all blown up completely. But but, you know, they had an extra requirement to to have, you know, hotlines and whistleblower protections and and data integrity issues. I mean, it's all blown up, but they are still under that corporate integrity agreement, which again, it would provide a perfect pathway to go after them right now if Department of Justice wanted to do it. Uh, because they're in violation, I believe, of the corporate integrity agreement that they signed. Well, we probably couldn't get the, the New York attorney general to go after these because she's she's she thinks that there should be quarantines in New York. Right. right. So th th there's I mean, th th Bobby Fox is fighting that lawsuit up, up there in the state of New York. But how, how do how do we wake up the public to realize or maybe put the fear of God into these people on the board? You know, quite frankly, I know when I did, when I investigated the Catholic Church. We took it on the local level. We took the diocese by diocese. We took it internationally in Domino, and we went up the food chain. And it didn't matter whether they had to empty the pews, empty the pockets, sell off the the, the uh, real estate property, or basically put some of these dioceses into, into bankruptcy to get the Vatican's attention on it. And I, at this point in time, because the volume of information and the adverse effects and the sudden deaths and families being torn apart, losing loved ones, I think that we need to up the game legally on taking these people on. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that does sort of wake people up when I talk to them. It's kind of an odd thing, but it, it does seem to, they sort of say, huh, when I say, look, this company, Pfizer, is now a Defense Department contractor. This is all being managed right. by the Department of Defense, and it, and they're doing it under the PREP Act, which is for military preparedness that this you know so that fundamental fact as to where this is coming from seems to people kind of look at me like what are you talking about explain and, to, explain to people warner how you know that because you represent brooke jackson who's a whistleblower in the pfizer case who over right. was regional uh well i forget her title regional examiner she, she was a manager of the clinical trials in Beaumont, Texas. All right. And so and she, as a re and she saw in 2020 that they were not following the protocols and ex explain the, 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 the minimal facts there. So the public understands what that means. What that well, means. it's just her, it's just horrendous. What she's alleging is that essentially these are fake. It's a basically a fake, a Potemkin trial site. Right. You had people who worked at a taco stand doing injections. You had complete unblinding of all of the clinical trial participants. This is fundamental science. You cannot unblind them. The blind is what makes it, it a legitimate trial. They were completely unblinded. You had mishandling of all the materials. You had improper injections. They weren't, you know, the in improper needle sizes. They were throwing the trash away that had confidential patient information in it, which anybody could have gotten right out of their trash cans. Um, it's just so, it's just horrendous. There's no, you know, and Pfizer says they hire these, you know, kind of fake trial companies to do this so that they can avoid responsibility. They'll, they'll blame Ventavia. It's Ventavia is the name of the company and they'll blame Icon and, and shuck the blame from themselves. But nevertheless, they are required to monitor those trial sites and Brooke reported up her chain of command first. She didn't go directly you know, she went up the chain of command saying, hey, there's problems. I see these problems all over the place. So she tried to get Pfizer to intervene. So Pfizer cannot claim ignorance at this point. Um, and then when she went, when she did go up the chain and they didn't take responsibility and then she went to the FDA, she was fired. Six hours later. Right. Okay. Something. And this is something that I've never seen before. And, I, and I've actually got two examples. Brooke's not the only example now. But we've seen a whistleblower contact the federal agency that's involved, in this case, the FDA, and we've seen the federal agencies reach out and, and talk to the company and get that person fired or banned from work. So federal agencies have become malicious in this sense in terms of counterattacking whistleblowers, which I've never seen. I've been doing this a long time. And usually it's just, you know, they're lazy. They don't want to investigate. You know, they're avoiding that. They have a close relationship with the with the contractor, whatever. But I've never seen them go to this extent and reach out and destroy somebody's career. And I've seen it now twice in the last couple of years. That's just me. I'm just one attorney. So I don't know how much else this is happening out there. 
but it's horrendous. And both those are clients of mine and we are pursuing it. So, And that would possibly be because the pharmaceutical companies pay, inject money, their profits into the FDA to do clinical trials. So there's a cozy relationship financially and approval wise with the FDA. And the FDA has now decided in the last two weeks that there's no standards of practices and there haven't been because they've been breaching them, but now they're just putting it on the table and they're being transparent and it's right in front of all of us. Exactly. We always talked in the past about regulatory capture. And that's what this is, is when the regulated industry completely captures the agency. We've seen that historically in the military side a lot. Uh, but I mean, this is beyond anything I think any of us ever imagined could happen. There is complete regulatory capture. Whatever Pfizer wants, Pfizer gets, the FDA goes along with it. They, they have just greased the skids for approvals and it has destroyed the credibility of the agency and it's destroyed its role in terms of keeping Americans safe. Let's circle around to what you started to say, though. But as a result of Brooke Jackson's case, you have discovered that the that the that when you say the words that Pfizer's in bed in partners with the DOD, that's because of Brooke Jackson's case, correct? Well, obviously, I didn't know all of this before I got into the case and into this. But, I, you know, uh, the fact is all of us are subject to a Department of Defense program and, and what is being injected is not even a finished product. The contract is for a prototype product. Explain that. It's called an OTA contract. It's an OTA contract. There are no requirements in that contract except the previous step, which was to get an emergency use authorization. So once they had that emergency use authorization, boom, there was no further accountability. There is zero accountability in the contract. And, and I've read a lot of federal contracts. There's always accountability in those contracts. I've never seen anything like this. Zero accountability. It doesn't have to be safe. It doesn't have to be effective. It doesn't have to function in any manner uh, for them to get paid. All they have to do is produce this uh, junk product. And as soon as they produ produce the vial, they get paid for the vial. And so the other thing, one oh, more go thing. Ahead. Go ahead. The, the, the other thing that wakes people up a little bit, uh, I've noticed, the Department of Defense owns the vial up until it's injected in your arm. So if you deviate that vial out of that pathway, you've got some serious problems. There is a way around that. I think whistleblowers can get around that because there is a lot, uh, there's a lot of fraud in this that needs to be examined and the vials themselves need to be examined and that needs to be reported to the American people. But, but it is a serious issue. They own it from, from A to Z until it's in your arm, period. DOD does. DOD, the Department of Defense, owns that product mm -hmm. until it's in your arm. All right. So, so Sasha, I've got a question about a contract, Warner, but Sasha, I just want to ask you real quickly, with everything that you know and your experience for over a quarter of a century, have you ever seen this type of process with DOD and, and everything? I mean, is this, is this normal or abnormal? It's a yes or no. I mean, it's one or the other. It's completely abnormal as far as manufacturing a pharmaceutical. And I completely agree with Warner. I reviewed those contracts as well. It's, in my opinion, it's not a pharmaceutical, it's a Department of Defense product, and it does not fulfill the uh, standards of a pharmaceutical product. So, Warner, the next question I have for you is, who's responsible here? Is it because we know from the Pfizer document dumps in the FOIA case that Aaron Surrey ignited, we know that when Pfizer uh, sent some documentation to the FDA that's now court released, that when they write down the entity, they are the uh, pharmacia plus Upjohn as the lead and Pfizer in parentheses uh, is, is behind it. So then I cross-reference that document with the 2009 Department of Justice, Civil and Criminal, and I noticed that the people who had to pay the fines of the 2.3 billion that year were in fact Pharmacia and Johnson. So it seems to me 
that when Pfizer for COVID puts their documentation before the FDA, they're setting up the same the same model that if in fact they are fined or held culpable, then that the money will come out of Pharmacia slash Upjohn as opposed to Pfizer. To me, that was very telling. It's the same model they played before when they when they clearly admitted that they were involved with criminal and, and uh, civil fraud. There's there's a legal term uh, called lifting the corporate veil. Uh, they have veiled their activities through these corporate structures, and there are mechanisms to lift that corporate veil to get at those that are ultimately responsible. You just need willing prosecutors. And we have none that I know of at this point. Sasha, again, because of your historical, you know, because of your reputation, I think it's, I think you're brilliant. Have you ever seen anything like this before? No, uh, I, I mean, as far as setting up corporations, uh, various uh, corporate entities to avoid liability, that's been historical practice. In fact, um, every brand, uh, Pfizer sells as a separate company, but they all, yes, they, if, if you want to go after after them, that doesn't save them from you know liability uh, usually. Mm -hmm. uh, but here we have, of course, uh, a completely unprecedented unprecedented way of of doing things and i that's that's exactly what i also use to to wake people up a little bit although i, I haven't been very successful uh is the fact that this is not a pharmaceutical product and and what we're talking about because they're violating all the standards they're violating all the rules and the ownership of it since it's owned by the DOD through the distribution and not in the uh, licensed uh, pharmaceutical distributor, cha distributor chain, that also is a huge red flag because that the, the, the licensed pharma pharmaceutical distribution chain is there and it's also highly regulated and they, they're supposed to be licensed and following uh, good distribution practices is for a reason. It's for the reason so that you are also assured of safety while the product is being in distribution. And you can also trace it back if you, the unit dose needs to be serialized, for example, and it's not in this case. So that if anything happens, any adverse event uh, or reaction, then you can trace it back all the way back through the distribution to the manufacturer, to the subcontract manufacturer, all the way to the raw material supplier. That's how it's set up. And they took out this product completely from those safety. So all the safety guardrails are gone. And they took it out completely. And now it's this complete black box DOD uh, secret entity that owns the secret vial that nobody can get access to and test uh, up until it gets injected into the person. And oh, by the way, the final dose is made completely outside of any safety guide rails by who knows what medical students, people from taco stand, uh, you know, they're just sitting there mixing up these, these products uh, and making these doses and injecting people. I mean, this is just mayhem. It's complete mayhem. Well, I, I know from, from past reporting that people I've spoken to in Georgia, I talked to some firemen. These are volunteer firemen that were asked to participate and in, in inject people. And one guy said, no, I'm not, I'll do paperwork, but I'm not going to do the injection. <clears throat> So it's not just the taco people. It's it's also, you know, people in the community of trust, you know, a, fi a fireman you may know in the neighborhood all of a sudden is sitting there at the table. You're thinking, well, he must know what he's doing. But, you know, that, that's not necessarily true. Having said that, Warner, what does this tell you from, from a uh, legal position when you have <clears throat> the CDC people changing information? And then you, and it's not following the protocols. We're finding out through your case uh, with Brooke Jackson that, in fact, it's a DOD, you know, OTA contract, which the reason why we know this is because when uh, they when Pfizer filed the motion to dismiss in the Brooke Jackson case, this was part of their rationale for saying, well, you know, if we if we did anything, if we did anything naughty, you know what? We did it with the approval of the U.S. government in which everybody said, well, well this is new piece of information. So it was an admission before the court by an officer of the court. And the assumption is that they're telling the truth. All right. Having said that, what do you think about the fact from a legal point of view that uh, it's not just when Fauci gets out there and says these are safe and effective, but the implication is 
Well, of course, we followed all the rules, but now we have the FDA and the CDC having all these public meetings, asking people to, to participate in them, give their opinion, whether they agree with them, don't agree. It's for the public. It's for professionals and experts. That just seems like it's a ruse because it really doesn't matter if they're not following the rules. Is that just compound the fraud? It, it does. It's just uh, mayhem is such a good word, Sasha. I'm going to start using the word may mayhem because we're in we're in regulatory mayhem and people just need to understand nothing is working the way we all thought our government was supposed to work. It's just not. I mean, and, and then ultimately you have to say, well, what is it all about? Um, and I, I, you know, I think we all draw our own different conclusions about that, but it certainly isn't about safety, efficacy, or fighting a virus. This is not the way you do it. So mm -hmm. it's about something else. So if we are able to ask all these questions and we are able to uncover all this evidence, what about the people at the corporate board level? Oh, they know. I, I mean, you know, they have fiduciary responsibilities. You and I talked about that. And I, and I think that's a that's an excellent pathway that I intend to look at as well, is what's the fiduciary responsibility of a board member who knows you have a deadly product being released into the into the populace and they have and they know it. And they also know, you know, this whole violation of good clinical practices, good manufacturing practices, good distribution practices. It's all out the window. You know, when you have um, p untrained people injecting this very dangerous substance, improperly injecting it, by the way, all the way down to that level. So they know, they know. And at this point, they cannot claim ignorance. And I, I think they have a fiduciary responsibility and we need to figure out a, a pathway into forcing them to perform their fiduciary responsibility to their company and to the public. All right. So let's, let's turn to the contracts. I mean, I've, I've had so much fun going overseas trying to collect con contracts that U.S. pharmaceuticals companies have signed with foreign governments. <clears throat> Pfizer alone, 110 countries. All right. And so we know anecdotally early on, there were rumors about how the U.S. pharmaceutical companies, and this is all three of them, J&J, Moderna, Pfizer, because they have no liability here for vaccinations. They have no liability under, you know, Emergency Use Act. But even if you didn't have the Emergency Use Act because of the 1986 Act, they have no liability for vaccination injuries. And, and then you have to apply to the court if your kid is paralyzed. And maybe you'll get some compensation, but you maybe not in most cases. So they they go they go they have they have some entity we know in Europe it comes out of uh, for Pfizer comes out of the Netherlands we know that they negotiate with the head office negotiating with places like Albania we know that the Minister of Health in uh, Israel has now come out and said that uh, they have a they do have documentation that they knew about the adverse uh, uh, effects events before they even started distributing you know four or five shots to these these poor people in Israel. We know that there are other uh, Brazil's contract is pretty much the same. And the boilerplate of it is <clears throat> we want no liability, just like in America. And we want to guarantee that we have no liability in case there's adverse effects. So we want collateral to back that up. In some instances, it's for property. It almost sounds like the Chinese building bridges and wanting the ports of Mombasa and Kenya. Um, we know that they, in fact, have said if you order... 2 million in May, and they're delivered later, that we as the pharmaceutical company will decide um, when they're going to be delivered. And in the meantime, when you order them, if there is a cure for COVID, you still have to pay for these vaccines. Mm -hmm. So there's a money incentive. And uh, Sasha, what are the other, there's other points to those contracts that we've looked at. Yeah. So for the international specifically, they forbid testing of the vials. And in fact, they require the government to waive all the requirements, legal, regulatory, uh, all sort, anything that exists in terms of uh, how the uh, normal, uh, let's say, verification of the integrity and purity and conformity of the product is checked. They're saying that product non-conformance is actually uh, a reason, for example, to, to, to uh, abandon this contract or, or terminate this contract. However, uh, you, the government, the purchaser, you're not allowed to test for conformity. So that, so, again, that's abnormal yeah. from past practice. Absolutely. So I'm going to sell you a cat in the bag. 
-hmm. If the cat is non-conforming to the specification, you can terminate the contract, but you can't look at the cat. You're forbidden. Right. But believe me, that's a cat in the bag. Right. So, so, so you're stuck with the contract. And again, Warner, I have to ask you, what type of lawyers in the room negotiating for this? Because who in their right mind would sign a contract like this? I mean, I, you know, I may be a journalist, but I went to business school. I can't even imagine for a moment anybody saying would sign this unless you got a bribe. I, you know, I think that's a good deduction in terms of what has probably happened. We do not have honest regulators in, in any uh, government at this point that sign these contracts. These are not honest regulators. So they're not, they're not, they're just not performing their, their function. You know, I do want to say that Pfizer's attorneys are brilliant in terms of how they've uh, avoided liability. I mean, this whole structure has been building for the last couple of decades and they've taken advantage of every single uh, loophole and, and uh, protection that they possibly could. So they've been brilliant in terms of protecting their company so far. But I want to say something. One more thing about that. You cannot contract for a crime. You can't contract to have somebody kill somebody else, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we are able to show that this is criminal level uh, knowledge and behavior, then these contracts are void. You cannot contract for a crime. And I believe that at this point, and I'm glad you brought up the other companies because the same problems are in the trials of all of these shots. Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, Novavax, all of them have had the same problems. They're using the same uh, trial companies to perform the trial. So they're, they're sharing manufacturing, they're sharing trial testing, they're sharing all of this. And I mean, we found even some other things that are happening in terms of doctors getting paid to forward uh, to forward patients into the trials, which there's so many things wrong with that. I can't even begin to start. But, you know, so if a crime is fundamental to this whole thing, I think these are void contracts. And, and eventually that's the argument that would need to be made. I remember years ago, this is probably goes back to the 1980s, there was uh, insurance banking fraud cases that, that <clears throat> were in motion, and these were criminal cases. And <clears throat> they didn't leave it to the executives as being the defendants. They actually went after the conciliars, as we know it in the mafia world. Mm -hmm. uh, they went after the lawyers who created the model for them to be able to break, to, 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 to break the bank, as they say, to make money and to, to try to do it, even though it was an illegal model. So you, do you think some lawyers may be looking at this right now? Because we know that some of the fixers at uh, some of the law firms that represent these pharmaceuticals have, you know, tried to intimidate some people. We, we know that to be fact. Oh, and, sure. you know, yeah. and, and I, you know, quite frankly, I'm going to have I'm going to have some fun investigating all these guys because they, they all their law firms should be put on notice. Game is on. People are dying. Babies are being born deformed. People are sudden deaths. People who no, don't normally have heart attacks are dying. We know that there's a, there's a lot of chronic ailments. We know that there's a surge of stage three and four cancer out there after the boosters. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, this is serious. And we, you know, we've seen the excess deaths. Ed Dowd talks about that a lot. You know, <clears throat> we've had a Vietnam War essentially occur for our, our young population uh, in terms of a loss of, you know, whatever it is, 60,000 people. Uh, that should not have died uh, and that are dead uh, from last year. So I think that's the way to get it, though, is, is to get uh, to the crime that's at the heart of this. I wanted to say one more thing that I, I kind of over that I forgot to talk about. The PREP Act overrides. This is another wake up call. You wanted wake up calls. Tell, tell the public what the PREP Act is, because many of them wouldn't understand. They well, don't know that. I'm going to simplify this. OK, but basically the PREP Act allows an emergency to be declared. This is where the liability shield comes in. And once that emergency is declared and, and there's a, a, a medicine under emergency use, all the liability protections come into play. And it overrides state and local laws that might you might have thought were out there as well. So they have this complete preemption of the field under the PREP Act uh, to distribute uh, the, these vials and to get these injections in people's arms. So I, I don't think people understand how bad this is. This, we are in a state of emergency 
in the United States and in many other countries. And that state of emergency is overriding all of our normal administrative and democratic processes that would normally check this. So is that a check? Is that a check make legally so that the state attorney generals can't do anything even on the state level? It, it is to preempt the state laws that, that might apply. I, I mean, again, though, let's separate out. I think things can happen on the criminal side. Right. You know, generally, I'm talking on, on the preemption. It's a civil issue. It's legislative uh, stuff. But, but you, it does not preempt when a crime has occurred. So that's the difference. That makes all of this, you know, that makes all of it, that gives you a pathway anyway to get to it. All right, we've, we have uh, almost four minutes left. Sasha, is there anything else you want to add to this conversation? Uh, well, I, um, you know, this is probably subject of a longer discussion, but we, we talked about testing of the vials. Uh, independent testing of the vials has occurred. So even though they prohibit it, but you can prohibit all you want. And when your relatives and loved ones are dying, and having cancer, people will do it, and they are doing it, and they have done a lot of independent vial testing. And uh, another thing that also is a wake-up call to uh, many is that so far in the thousands of vials that were tested all over the world uh, on all five continents by independent people, so it's, this is as random test as you can imagine. These are, these are experts who know what they're doing. Experts, access to lab equipment, and have done various sorts of analysis. So far, we haven't found a single vial that conforms to the manufacturer's label. Mm. And that is a wake-up call to everyone. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, some are conforming more than others. In fact, when they are more conforming, they're more lethal. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, there's not, not, no conformance 100%, and there are a lot of ingredients found that should not be there at all. There's no explanation for them, uh, and no purpose in, can be found in the manufacturing process. So that's... So that's another lie, Warner. <clears throat> yes, and that's another lie. Okay, so that's false advertisement. Okay, this is under the Food and Drug Administration, where I think you're supposed to have <clears throat> the recipe equals the label. Yeah, it's mislabeling, and and people don't understand how critical that is. But it's critical for us to be able to track back what's going on with particular vials for us to understand what's being injected in people's bodies. So it's, it's mislabeling, and essentially what we have and what Sasha has found is. This is something called an adulterated product. And we do have a pathway in the law to deal with adulterated products. And we are seeking uh, ways to do that as we speak. So, so I have a question, Warner, is, and Sasha, for both of you. And we've, we only have about uh, two minutes left. Sasha, let's start with you. Has this stretched your imagination on how to do the analysis on these documentations? Because it's like nothing you've ever seen. Oh, my God. <laughs> You can't imagine how much. And I, I, when I started, I thought something was wrong, but maybe we can, you know, find the answer. When I, and at this point, I'm, I am, I'm frankly in awe of the magnitude of the crime, crimes that are being committed. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's orders of magnitude larger than I've, a, a, anything I could imagine. And Warner, what about you in terms of stretching your creativity as a lawyer? Because I know sometimes, you know, people in your field hire sometimes people in my field because we're, we look at all hypotheses and you guys look at what the laws are. Is it really stretching for you guys creatively from, from, from because it's, there's so much volume and there's so many different angles? Oh, definitely. I mean, unfortunately, I think my view of it is that we have really literally got this complete breakdown of our government structures, our governing, you know, all the way government processes are supposed to work, they're not working. So we really need to just end the FDA, start over from scratch and have public accountability. So it's, we, we're gonna have to re really kind of refound and rebuild our nation on the principles we all thought it was running by. It's just not running by those principles anymore. So we have a huge task. It's a monumental task ahead of us. Uh, so, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't know whether I'm up for the challenge individually, but I can tell you we have such great people joining together uh, at, at such a level as more and more people wake up, they're bringing their talents to bear. We're all sounding the alarm bells in every way we can with whatever knowledge we have. 
And I think that's what everybody should do. Sound those alarm bells. Let's get this stopped. Uh, I'm, I'm horrified at the amount of damage that we are going to face in our population genetically and, and in so many ways. And I'm horrified, too, about our children and how they're coming through a system that funnels them through a vaccination in order to get a job, to get an education. It's so wrong. So, you know, we'll, I'm, I'm going to work at it every day. I've, you know, I'm a granddad. I got two grandbabies. I got three children of my own. You know, we're we're going to try to fix this country and, and uh, get the WHO out of here. Sasha Warner, thank you. You will be back. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, take this to heart. For any of you that think that you cannot speak out, you can speak out. For any of you journalists that think that you cannot report the facts, I'm telling you as somebody in the business for over 40 years, yes, you can. Do not be afraid of somebody like Zuckerberg. He still doesn't take a lot of the trafficking, human trafficking stuff off of his network. He doesn't take the porn down. So he doesn't even have a moral authority to censor anybody in this field. Nobody, the, the tech people are being paid by the farmer people because that's where their ads land. And so this can be, this can be if everybody just speaks out, tells the truth and is not afraid of these people. Most of these people who commit crimes like this are cowards. They might hammer people, they might try to destroy people, but when you have science and facts and the truth on your side, it's a matter of time. Again, Sasha Warner, thank you, and thank you to our audience. Thank you, Christine. Thank you.